Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with the show here. We've got a lot of things to cover today. We're going to talk about the CPI report. Gosh, got to talk about that. That's really changed some directions here. Talk about the job market. Uh, got to talk about cryptocurrencies because some big changes there, kind of a cryptocurrency meltdown. We'll talk about why and what maybe you should do or not do when it comes to cryptocurrencies. And I'm Chase Wilsey. You want to join the show here. Phone number is 833-288-0973. You got a burning question about a stock out there. Hey, things are going up and it seems like maybe that's when people want to call. Not necessarily always the best time to call. It was a couple <laughs> days ago. But hey, there's still some great buys out there, some great stocks that, that I think are trading at some great valuation. So again, you want to join the show here. Phone number is 833-288-0973. And Chase, before we get into the uh, topics we want to talk about, I do want to mention that this Thursday already is the Smart Investing Workshop, uh, November 17th at 6 p.m. in Scripps Ranch. And, and and again, if you're kind of confused on what's going on, you're, you don't know what to do, like, gosh, I thought the market's going down, now went up, uh, not sure what to invest in, how to invest. Uh, I and mean, I'm just unhappy what I've done in the past. This is why we do the workshops, because when you come to the workshops, we show you everything we do, how I've been doing you know, this, now I've been investing for over 40 years, how I've built this knowledge. I share that with you. Chase, we share it with you. Go over all these different things to help make you a smarter investor. It is free. Seeing is limited. What you need to do is sign up at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And I will tell you, if you come to the workshop, you'll learn something. Uh, I, I pretty much guarantee it. I can't guarantee uh, investment, so I can guarantee that. And, and I've been doing these for well over, what, gosh, has been about 25 years now I think I've been doing these. And and people say, wow, there's a lot of things you talk about to really make it smarter. And it's also timely as far as what's going on now. No, oh, absolutely, yeah. So we always look forward to doing them. And then now we only do one a quarter, so it, it doesn't happen as frequently. So you gotta, gotta sign up, gotta come join us. Yep, so, and then we'll be taking the phone calls here probably in about uh, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. But we gotta talk about that CPI report. Uh, the market rallied, uh, I think it was on, uh, when was it, Thursday, uh, on news. Inflation was not as bad as feared. The headline CPI number for October came in at 7.7% .7 compared to last year which was lower than the estimate of 7.9% and below last month's reading of 6 I'm sorry 8.2%. Now back in June the CPI hit 9.1%. I believe some investors believe this number could help lead to a Fed pivot, but I'm still not optimistic given their stance of being strong to fight inflation. With that being said, I believe they should slow down and let these rate hikes and quantitative tightening work through the economy. Well, one major factor here that I find interesting in the report is that rising shelter costs contributed more than half the monthly gain as it increased 0.8% compared to last month and was up 6.9% compared to last year. Now, this was the highest annual increase since 1982. But one thing to take into consideration is that rising shelter costs don't necessarily have a large impact on the entire population. We've kind of talked about this in the past, but I wanted to look, take a closer look at the numbers. And in fact, 
more than 65% of the population owns their home. And with that, the monthly expense is much more fixed because you have the fixed mortgage, especially here in California. We have, you know, the Prop 13 mm-hmm. that makes sure your property <clears throat> taxes aren't raising too quickly. And, and it, it shouldn't be necessarily subject to the current inflation we're seeing because, again, it's a fixed payment. Your shelter costs aren't going up 6.9% <laughs> like some of the other people. And I hope the Fed does take that into consideration as support needs to be analyzed in its entirety. There's a lot of different factors that play into it. And even with that that huge increase we saw in housing, the shelter costs, there are some news, there is some news out there that, that things are slowing down in that market as well. So I, I think we've talked about it in the past, but I think as we exit this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see inflation in the 6% range. And Jason, in the office, when this came out, we talked about it. You talked about the 65% uh, appeal it didn't affect, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. That means it only affects 35 percent of the people. So we're looking at this, this number that doesn't even affect half the population if you own your home. So it's only affecting 35 percent. And I forget the number. I don't know if you remember how much the component makes up of the overall index. Do you remember how much it was? Pretty big, was it? It's pretty large. And and one thing I was going to say is, is it, it, I know that last year's spending. I, I don't know necessarily how much it makes up of the CPI component. I know it. I, I believe it's around a third because. Last year in 2021, housing was about 34% of consumers' budgets. Yeah. So <clears throat> I would assume it's about the same in the CPI uh, for how heavy it is in, in the weighting. And, and I hear people talk, oh, yeah, but, the, but you know, this is up and so forth. You've got to look at your own personal inflation. I mean, what are you spending on? And I saw yesterday, I think eggs are up 35% year over year, but meat was only up, I think, 3% or something. Well, you know what? Maybe drop the eggs for a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I love eggs. I think I do have eggs probably every day, but it's just like, okay, so maybe I don't want eggs for a while. And that will reduce the demand, which would increase the supply. And, and that's, that's a normal factor because prices go up. Just stop buying it. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, that's forever. So. Yeah. And, and, and that's why supply and demand, they always win. Yeah. They yeah. let markets kind of work themselves out because if demand's lower, well, Price has got to come down. <laughs> so then that that kind of helps fix the inflation. So that's where I think, again, next year, I'm not saying inflation is going away. I right. still think we're going to have inflation. <laughs> but it's not going to be 7 8%. I, I still think for 2023 throughout the year, it'll be somewhere around 4 to 6% through, through most of the year. And, and we also talked, too, uh, about how I think that the media really makes people yeah. kind of focus on the worst thing. Because before, it's like, oh, inflation's 9.1%. Oh, it's terrible. People are focused on that. Well, now that's starting to come down. Oh, core inflation's this. And I mean, the media really gets people to where they're so fearful of inflation. And yes, you go to the store, you're going to see some things higher. But I, I know there's some things that aren't higher. Yeah. So the media is what gets you going and you feel so bad about things. Just look at your own personal CPI and uh, make it lower. Yeah. And there's two kind of things I look at here as well. Number one, remember used car prices? Oh, yeah. At the beginning there, they were yeah. up like 34% year over year. Now that's pulling back. It's now in the single digit increase. I think it was up 2% or something like that over the last 12 months. So it that's what I think is going to happen next year with CPI is energy prices. I don't think we're going to go from, again, we're up like 60% many times on oil and gasoline this year. You're not going to see another 50% increase in that metric. So I think, you know, looking at the core CPI and looking at the headline CPI, it's very important to look at the two of them together. You can't just look at one or the other because then, you know, that's where the pessimist and people come out because, oh, well, that one's good now, but that one's bad. We need to focus on the bad one. 
Yeah. No, you need to look at them together, and especially it cracks me up because the the core CPI number backs out transportation and food or mm-hmm. energy, energy, I should say, not transportation. But the funny <clears> thing <throat> is, transportation is the number two expense or was the number two expense in two thousand twenty-one. Transportation, energy. No, 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 no. Oh, tra- okay. Trans energy is backed out from CPI. Right. But when you look at consumers' budgets, transportation was the number two expense, which includes gasoline. Right. Gasoline is the large component of transportation that people pay for. Transportation occupied 16% of people's budgets in 2021. So we're just going to back out the energy (laughs) from their budgets. Right. The number three expense for consumers' budgets, I didn't guess. I don't guess. Food. Oh, of course. And what's backed out from core CPI? Food. Food and energy. (laughs) Combined, those two make up about 28%. Of consumers' budgets. Now you add in the large one of 34% of housing that may not be impacting many people. Well, now you're at what, uh, close to 60%. And, and this is what we talked about in the. And we talked before. We were looking at the price of corn and wheat and steel and and, and other commodities, saying they're coming down. This is going to affect you. And this was back in the summertime. People, oh no, you don't get it. Inflation's high. Here we are now. As we said, inflation is not 9.1. Came in at 7.7. And your food and energy is actually coming back down. Um, so this is why we were not really, I don't want to say we weren't surprised on the big rally on Thursday and Friday. Um, but it's just like, yeah, that's it's time for that to happen because things are not as bad as the media makes it out to be. The media's job, except for our show here, is not to educate you. It is to scare you emotionally, to get you to listen again. And even on, you know, we're on sports stations and so forth. Well, sports stations, they're kind of nice because how do they get you to listen? On the good side of emotions, the excitement and so forth. That's why you listen. It was boring, like, okay, you wouldn't listen. So it's either exciting, and the news media doesn't have that, so they got to make it the other side of the emotions, which are make you feel bad, so you got to watch the next day to see what it looks like. <laughs> and it, isn't this crazy, too? I mean, you point out, we, we've talked about this before, but gosh, I think the market was up around 5% on Thursday, and then uh, you know many of the indexes were up yesterday as well. And again, we've talked about this. Well, what do you do now? If you went to cash, well, do you, is it going to crash again? And, and you're playing this guessing game. That's why it comes down to owning businesses. The businesses are what you need to look at, not the craziness of this day-to-day nonsense of the volatility because you're you're not going to guess right. I'm sorry. Right. It's a losing man's game. And, and I don't think people realize, maybe they do, I mean, how much time you and I spend reading, analyzing, listening to this information. And not just like you know once a week. I mean, continuously throughout the week, uh, and I can't even put a number on how many hours we spend doing it, but that's why we come up with these things. That's why our portfolios, i got to be careful here because of the the rules here, but that's why we're happy with our portfolios Mm -hmm. because we knew this was going to happen, and we're fine with this. And we can never say, oh, on November 11th, this is going to happen. But we can say that going in the future, we will. And we were saying this in the summertime. We see positive things, and we still see positive things, which which I'll kind of move on to the job market because I, I continue to believe that the feared recession will be mild. I have talked about how strong the uh, job market uh, has continued, but one other aspect that is continuing is, is a lot of liquidity in the economy to what is known as M2. Now, M2 is a measure of the amount of money that includes currency, deposits, and, and shares in retail money market mutual funds. So, again, essentially your liquid money that's out there in the economy that can be converted and, and used to probably buy goods and services. Like the job market, this is holding strong at just under $22 trillion. Compare that to about three years ago when it was well under $16 trillion. 
So not only do consumers have a job to provide cash flow, but savings accounts are flush with cash to continue to consume. And, you know, I, I will say part of the problem with inflation comes from the huge expansion in M2. Yes, exactly. But the thing is, there's still the liquidity out there that can get us through this difficult inflationary period. I just, I don't want to see M2 expand to 25, 28 trillion. That's what will continue the inflation. Right. But if we still have liquidity out there like we currently do, I, I, the consumer's in a fine spot. We're not over leveraged. That's what takes down economies. That's what takes down things. I know we're going to talk about cryptocurrency next, but the leverage is what destroys people. And that's <clears throat> what we currently just don't have in our economic state. Yeah. Well, well let's talk about uh, CBDs, which are known as central bank digital currencies. Uh, I've talked about in the past about CBDCs, which are known as, again, the central bank digital currencies, and said that countries are moving in that direction. No surprise that governments move slowly, but as of today, more than 100 countries and monetary authorities, which include European Central Bank and the United States Federal Reserve, are looking into how to digitize their currencies. But the direction they are going is not what you would think they're not turning to the popular cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum for advice. They're turning to the big tech companies like Microsoft, Alphabet, and even Amazon. The reason they are turning to these big tech companies is because of their development of digital wallets and smartphone apps. I still say if the world goes in this direction of the central bank digital currencies, the use of cryptocurrencies would be worthless. And again, these cryptocurrencies like your Bitcoins, your Dogecoins, all those private cryptocurrencies, I'll call them. I, I just don't see the utility or the use case for how they're going to benefit society at that point. And, and again, I've said this for probably well over a year now that the, the government's not going to stand by and let some private currency take over. The, and they, they can't. People don't get economics. That You have to have that central bank. If you had no central bank, we would still be in a Great Depression from 2008 if everybody controlled it by, well, didn't control it, but it was uncontrolled and a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. We would still be in a Great Depression because no one could have gotten you out of that situation. And I'm sorry, people, you need some form to get the economy on track. And and we don't always agree with it. Sometimes it go too far to one side, too far to the other side, but you need that to keep us going. Well, you, you remove the, the Federal Reserve, you remove the dollar. How are you now <laughs> going to control, in a, an economy needs leverage. You need, right. Well, how do you control those interest rates? If there's no central authority, yeah, where's it come from? It, it, it doesn't. That's a promise. That, that's why we'd still be in a Great Depression yeah. if we had no Federal Reserve. And again, we do not agree with everything they do. We don't agree yeah. with, with the. But overall, when you look at the, the scheme of things 20, 25 years down the road, it works out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, without it, it'd be a disaster. Uh, let's talk about too about uh, cryptocurrency balance sheets because balance sheets matter. Uh, we did a post on these crypto exchanges a few months ago, questioning the assets for many of these crypto exchanges, and now we're seeing the repercussions for weak balance sheets and over leverage. At as FTX announced, well, now they've announced bankruptcy. Yeah, bankruptcy, not even solvency issues anymore. And FTX and its CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, I like to say he got fried because it's spelled like fried here, <laughs> but we're seen as leaders in the crypto space and now it is collapsing. Bitcoin has fallen to under $17,000 and many other cryptos fared even worse this past week. And as a reminder, Bitcoin's all-time high 
close to seventy thousand dollars. Wow. Huge, huge decline. And, and quite frankly, there's nothing in the world of crypto at this point in time that entices me. And this only adds to my concerns for the investment category. And I say investment category in air quotes because I don't see it as an investment category at this point. Yeah, it, it has been speculative. It's been a gambling chip. Um, and and we talked, I think even a year ago about, wait a minute, who's auditing these companies? No one was. And they had stuff in, in, in uh, Bahamas. They had stuff, you know, Cayman Islands. I mean, it was just warning signs all over the place. There's nothing there. And what I think is, is kind of funny is that, you know, they want to be separate, like, oh, we don't want to be part of the government and so forth. Now I'm starting to hear, oh, they need to be regulated. Yeah. By who? By the government. Again, that's what you're trying to get away from. I, I, I still say, and I, I could be wrong here, but I still say that cryptocurrencies will be worthless one day. And I believe this is the beginning of the end. And who's that? Binance, I think was yeah. the, the big one. They they talked about uh, helping out FTX and they said, no, we're not going to do it. Because I think if they did that, it'd be a quicker end because then they would have, you know, more debt coming in. And I think it's ludicrous too that uh, FTX is saying, oh, someone give us, what is it, $8 billion, billion. to help us out? No one's going to bail you out. The government's not going to. Who's going to come up with it? Nobody. Those well, people, unfortunately, lost all their money. And the thing that I look at here that, you know, people for years now, oh, you guys don't get it. And I'm like, you don't get it. I mean, you break down <laughs> the FTX and, and both of us have degrees in finance and accounting and that's where the balance sheets we said matter. And you look at the story here, and it's like, well, what happened was there was Alameda, which was the sister company of FTX, and then they had some FTT token, and then that's what actually caused the collapse of FTX. <laughs> and you're like, oh, <clears throat> do you understand any of that? No. No. I don't understand it. There's no right. way in heck the average consumer understands any of that crap that occurred because it's all funny money. It's all BS when you break it down <laughs> fundamentally. It's like, what is an FTT token? What is that value for? What is the, you know, Bitcoin is the big one everybody talks about, but FTT, oh, that's a leverage, exactly, leverage that can actually take things down. And I, it's funny, I have our, our Seeking Alpha pulled up here. Mm -hmm. And one of the other big crypto exchanges, remember Crypto.com? Oh, yeah. Uh, crypto Arena up in LA now, uh, used to be Stable Center. Around 20%, this headline says, around 20% of Crypto.com's assets consist of, consist of the meme coin Shiba Inu. 20%. <laughs> and it, it's like, this is what we're saying here. Balance sheets matter. You're going to get completely screwed. And now you're at, on FTX. You can't even get your money out of it. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's intense. And oh, you listen to Tom Brady and Steph Curry and David Ortiz and all these athletes, celebrities. Don't yeah. listen to these people. They, they're getting paid by these exchanges to promote it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I, I don't feel bad for the people that lost money here. Yeah, and, and again, if you're a regular listener of the show, we've been talking bad about cryptocurrencies for I'm going to say at least one or two years, maybe even longer, because it's just there's never been anything behind it, and and, and that's what people don't get. And you're right. I don't really feel sorry for people because, you know, if you listen to us and and, there, and our social media, I've not seen anybody yet come back against what we're saying on this and before. Oh, you just don't get it. I'm not seeing that any longer. Uh, it's because I think they're starting to realize, oh, shoot, maybe this isn't so good, which will cause more of the decline because then people start saying, well, I've lost $10,000. 
uh, I better cut my losses now and get out, which I think will be the continued decline because there's nothing there to back it up and no reason to hold on to it. Well, and the scary part, too, is of these assets on FTX, uh, there's news that comes out this morning that there was a billion dollars worth of unauthorized transactions that occurred on the platform. Who's there to protect you? Yeah. Nobody. And again, I am not a huge regulation guy. I'm all for regulations and stuff. But there's nobody that has consumers back here because that was the whole allure of it. Yep. And, and it, it's it's dangerous. And I think if Binance, if Binance starts to have problems or the world's largest crypto exchange, I, that's the end of crypto. Yeah, and, th- and that's what I think is going to happen because I, I, I think people start seeing the news and then the fraud. Oh, and then, well, this money's missing, $400 million here, billion dollars here. You know what? I, I'm going to get my money out of Binance before I, I, that's gone as well. Yeah. And I think that will be, and it, this was like an old fashioned run on a bank and that's what caused the problem. And if people now start thinking that way, saying, yeah, I got to cut my losses, that could be the end of Binance, which would be the end of the whole cryptocurrency game, we'll call it. Which again, if you played that game and you know, I'm sorry, uh, we told you a hundred times not to do that. And yeah, it took what, two, three years. And I know people, yeah, but it's going to come back up. Well, maybe, maybe it will could. a little bit. But you know what it seems to be happening is it goes down, comes back, not as much as it was before. And it goes down. And then it goes down. So I, I think the next thing you could see, I think the lowest I've seen it, I don't think it fell below 16,000, come very close. I think over the next, we'll call it another couple months or so, you could see it maybe fall to maybe 12, 13,000. It's another new low I think you'll see hitting over time as it goes by here. And I, I challenge people that if they still want to buy crypto, and you disagree with us, but that's fine. You can go buy it. I don't. I don't really care at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but I challenge you to try and understand crypto, and don't use those talking points. Oh well, you know it's an alternative asset. Oh well, it's an inflation hedge. <laughs> oh well, you know I don't think the Federal Reserve is good. Those are all just headline talking points. Again, go try and understand what I was just talking about with the FTT token, and then you you had that Luna blow right. up with the Tether earlier this year. Understand that, and if you can actually fundamentally explain all the underlying issues with cryptocurrency, sure, maybe go buy it, but I don't think there's very many people, if at all any, that can actually explain it. Because Sam Bankman-Fried was supposed to be the dude. He was supposed to be the guy that was leading this crypto wave. (laughs) Clearly, he didn't know anything. No, he's just riding the wave and just kind of playing the game. Uh, And the other thing, too, with with, uh, Binance, uh, look to see what the audit shows. Yeah. What? They don't have an audit yet either? Ooh. <laughs> That's a big problem. So yeah. you don't know again what's behind the curtain. So. Yeah. And last thing on it is, I, I don't want to say it's funny, I, but Bankman Freed was worth $15 billion on Monday. Today, Bankrupt. zero. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful. Yep. Exactly. All right. Phone number is here. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. 0973. And as always, that'll get you through with that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And again, there should be a lot to talk about because you might be sitting in cash or saying, gosh, things went up a lot on Thursday and Friday. What do I do now? Maybe I should check this company with Brent and Chase before I invest my money into it. That's what we're here for again. 833-288-0973. Let's go up to San Marcos and speak with Mel. Mel, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Hi, uh, good morning. I really appreciate the show very much. Very well, interesting. You. Yeah, it was really a nice into the week last week, and uh, everything does look pretty sunny. Uh, 
I was looking at uh, in the uh, gas and oil sector uh, PBR because of the dividend. They're showing like a fifty percent dividend. Ooh, wow! Um, now that right there should be a little bit of a warning sign for you on that. But uh, we'll look at the numbers here to see, and it's a uh, Petrobras Brasilia. I think is the way you say it. Uh, their symbol is PBR, much easier to say. They are in the oil and gas industry, which is a great industry to be in because you know that energy is doing well now. Uh, we do see only 22% is in t institutional hold, uh, held. Uh, they did report these numbers as are uh, 930. Now, we do have a great PE of 2.2 versus 6.5. Price of sales looks good at 0.6, same as the industry. Price of book value, 1.1, well below the industry of 4.4. And price of cash flow is 1.6 versus 3.5. So the valuation ratios look pretty good. Also looking pretty good is the earnings per share growth over the one year. It's up 32.5%. Now, the industry is up 438%, but I still like to see it come to grow their earnings at 32%. Sales up 60.2 uh, versus 50.3. That's positive. One thing that's not good here is that you don't have a good uh, five-year estimated growth rate. It's a negative 17% for PBR versus uh, the industry, a positive 12.1. Now, here's the dividend. It is $7.60. Uh, the dividend yield is 65.7, but the payout ratio is 120.8%, which means they're paying out more uh, in the dividend <clears throat> than they're actually earning, which is a problem. We gotta look at the balance sheet because paying that type of dividend, there's gotta be, uh, we gotta make sure we have a good, a good uh, balance sheet here. Uh, current ratio, 1.2 versus 1.3, that is good. <clears throat> debt to equity is 0.8 versus 0.4. That is good. Net profit margin, 28.7 versus 8.9. Return equity is 49.4 versus 22.8. I mean, things I'm seeing here <clears throat> are not what I expected because with that yield of 65%, there's got to be something there that's, that's doing it. Let, let me well, see I, what you got going forward. I'd have to look at it too with the, uh, the company just to see if, you know, that dividend is a one-time dividend that that is kind of outside of the norm because it could just be a one-time payout right and it was just like oh here you go it's not a reoccurring thing so you got to understand that and, it, and the other thing that scares me with this company is that the first line under the description petrobras is a brazil-based integrated energy company controlled by the brazilian government oh there we go there was a problem <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's something that, I, that I'm looking at. But looking at the numbers here, current price is $11.56. 52-week high is $16.32. And the low, $9.58. I go out to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share. Kind of surprised here. Seven analysts. But the estimate is $3.02. That would give us a target sell price of $50.13. So that looks very attractive. But you keep looking at the year-over growth for earnings going forward. I mean, this year they're looking at $4.32. I said next year's three. There's just six analysts for 2024, but then it drops again to 260. So it's in a declining kind of earnings cycle. I'd be very cognizant of that, but gosh, that, that, that government part scares the heck out of me. Yeah, and um, Mel, going forward, just as he was saying with the government issue, they just held their election. Their first round of the election was on October 2nd. Their second round was on October 30th. Both of them went to Lula da Silva. Uh, so with the change, Bolsonaro's trying to run a little bit of election interference by saying that there was uh, by saying there was corruption, that the votes were faulty. The military hasn't seen anything as far as corruption or, or bad votes. 
So just be careful uh-huh. going into anything in Brazil right now, especially with this power change getting set to come uh, come into fruition. And Frank, are you saying there could be some government corruption there? Is that what you No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. and for our listeners, that's Frank. I don't think Frank's ever been. Uh, yeah, Frank, yeah, part Frank, of Frank, pro- Thanks for producer Frank. There, yes. <laughs> and and uh, so so Mel, I mean, the, everything. The numbers look good, and this is one time where you sometimes have to over, override the numbers. Frank said there's some things going on there in the government, the elections, and so forth. I just, you know, sometimes you don't trust your own government here in the U.S. Why would you trust the Brazilian government with all the craziness there? So numbers look good, but I can't say it's a lot. That's just controlled by is that that's a scary term yeah, for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right mel does it help you out all right yeah thank you very much appreciate it have all a great day are you too thanks for calling have a good one bye-bye all right that does open the phone line 833-288-0973 again that's 833-288-0973 before we go to the calls i do want to talk about the workshop coming up this thursday November 17th at 6 o'clock in our office in Scripps Ranch. We're going to be talking about why value investing does work, especially now. Uh, can't tell you the difference of how value is doing versus growth percentage-wise, but I will tell you it's looking pretty good. We'll show you more about that. The key to successful long-term investing and our investment philosophy, exactly how we invest and manage our money at Wilson Management. We'll show you everything we do so you understand why we've been successful. But you got to come to the workshop. It is free. It doesn't cost anything. Sitting is limited. Uh, you got to sign up at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And that's in Scripps Ranch this Thursday, 6 o'clock on November 17th. All right. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Imperial Beach and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, I know you guys are holding the semiconductor stock close to your best, but I was curious what you think of NVIDIA okay. and what your take is on it and the numbers. And and, and do you hold that or looking to buy it? <clears throat> I am looking to buy it. I do not hold it, uh, but I share your bullishness, if I can assume that. <laughs> okay. Uh, on some on, on stocks. Okay. Well, well, let's say I'm glad you called about this one because I know Nvidia's had a major decline. So maybe this is like some other tech companies where they're starting to look like, wow, they could be a buy here. So let's say look at Nvidia. Symbol is NVDA. Uh, only one percent, one point four percent float on the short side. Sixty-five <clears throat> percent uh, institutional owned. Unfortunately, not a good start here. PE ratio still very high, fifty-three point five versus seventeen point seven. Price of sales expensive, thirteen point nine versus four point one. Price to book value, twenty-three point three. Sounds high, but compared to the industry at four fifty-six, that's kind of a deal there. And price of cash flow, fifty-four point six versus twelve point three. So very expensive on the valuation ratios. The peg ratio does look good though, which tells you what you're paying with the future growth going forward. The lower the number, the better. Two point two. Versus 6.1. Now, unfortunately, for the last year, earnings have declined by 5.7% for NVIDIA. The industry is up 39.9%. The sales for NVIDIA were up 22.5, which is about double the industry at 12.4. They do have a very good growth rate of 23.4%, uh, about double the industry at 11.8. Now, they pay a, well, a 0.1% dividend. This is kind of surprising to me. Such a small dividend but yet they use 5.2% of their earnings to pay that out. 
that's not very much, but no, it's the dividends. I'm kind of surprised. I thought they they pay it should be about one percent, but just kind of showing you that they probably won't be increasing that dividend anytime soon. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Current ratio right. three point six versus two point seven. That's good. Debt to equity point five versus point six. That's a positive. Net profit margin looking good as well. Twenty six percent versus twenty three point five. And return on equity is thirty two point five above the industry at twenty six point five. Uh, current price here for <clears throat> NVIDIA was $163.27, while 52-week high, $346.47, and the low, $108.13. Year-to-date, down about 44.4%. Now, going forward for NVIDIA, I go out to the January 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.45. Unfortunately, it gives the target sell price of $73.87. The stock's still trading around 36.7 times future earnings. It, it's it's just still expensive, unfortunately, there, Tim. And the thing that I, I'm concerned about with the NVIDIA's stock performance is I think it could be very yeah. reminiscent of the tech bust where, you know, uh, I'm going to pull out Microsoft. <clears throat> Microsoft, great company, great company during the tech boom and bust, great company today. But the problem was it took you about 17 years to get back to break even from the height of the tech boom to recouping those losses that occurred during the tech bust. It just got pulled forward, I think, way too much in terms of its valuation. I mean, I, I still believe, I know it did become the largest semiconductor company in the, the country, if not the world. Uh, actually, probably not bigger than Samsung. Sorry, I believe yeah. it was the largest U.S. company then. But, but the thing is, their profits and sales still don't match Intel's even. And the thing that I'm going to look at, too, when you say the largest company, that's based on market cap. Yes. So that means if the stock price just goes crazy, you can become the largest company in the world based on market cap. But not looking at the assets, the equity, other things that really establish a company because there's no hype in there. That's true values there. I'd look at it. And, and I do want to point out, too, that 90 days ago, the estimate was $6.26. So that's fallen quite a bit. And also, too, I see 37 analysts on this. Uh, the low estimate is uh, 308. The high is 541. So a big range there. Um, and Nvidia, and I can't remember what it was. I know there's certain things they have on there. I think they were making money off of cryptocurrency uh, somehow. On the, the the something they were putting the chips, the chips with the, the, chips the mining. I mining, yeah. I guess it was and stuff. Uh, gaming's another one. So um, we like the the chip industry, but we want to find something that's on sale. This has gone on sale, but as Chase said, this may float around for a while trying to find a good value. Uh, bottom but i still think it's too expensive so uh, my recommendation even if you have nvidia i would say sell it yeah i think there's other opportunities in the chip space yeah all right tim yeah uh, just two quick questions and they may not be quick <laughs> sure but uh num number one uh which which semiconductor companies do you think are on sale right now and number two, all the numbers that you quote it may be privileged and you may not be able to answer that and i appreciate that you don't have to what is your source for the numbers that you guys use uh, when you quote all the uh, all the numbers and uh, all the uh, relevant data that you provide of the callers? Well, uh, we use a couple of different sources. Uh, we use Seeking Alpha. We use Stock Rover. Uh, we don't use Reuters as much as we used to. I mean, we use different sources, mm -hmm. but those are probably the two main ones you and, and work with. They source those data points from the company's financial statements, yeah. which is audited by the SEC. So they just pull that data and then they calculate all the, the metrics from right. those uh, companies' financial statements. Yeah, and, and, and we get a lot of our information that when we do our buys is from reading. You know, we read the Wall Street Journal, we read Seeking Alpha, we read right. um, 
Barron's Magazine. So different things we look at. Uh, we also listen. We, we watch Fox Business News and, you know, to, to see what other people are talking about. So it's, it's just accumulation of many different things we look at. And what's kind of surprising over that time frame, we'll say in a year's time frame, uh, all this research, we may come up with four or five buys. Yeah. You know, because that's what you're looking for. And NVIDIA, yeah. it could be good, but it's not like, wow. And we have a couple of chip companies we're looking at that we're saying, wow. Uh, but we're not going to, we haven't pulled the trigger on those yet. So. Yeah, and I, I do think the equipment <coughs> makers are yeah. interesting at this point. We haven't done the research on them. I mean, I'm talking about LAM research, applied materials, yep. but the valuations on them look good, um, much better than the NVIDIA. So those are kind of areas that I'm looking to as well as, as potential sources. Yeah. And we always say before we buy any company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research to really understand what that is. And then also too, once you buy it, it doesn't stop. Then you still got to stay on top of the company, make sure they're not changing. You got to, you know, listen, read the quarterly conference calls, look at the financial statements, got to understand the business, listen to the news, what's going on with the business. So, I mean, we love doing that, um, but we can give you the the direction to kind of go to with, a, again, Seeking Alpha, you know, Stock Rover and so forth. But the thing is you got to do it uh, day in and day out because if you do it for a little while and then stop, you're probably going to not have good performance down the road a couple of years. You get stuck with the GE. There you go. <laughs> Does that help you out, Tim? Got it. Got it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go to Escondido and speak with Marty. Marty, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? at an ETF. Uh, the code is DRILL, D-R-L-L. It's pretty new, so I don't know if you've got much on it yet, but I'm just curious what you have. Uh, we don't have anything on that, but let, let's talk about it conceptually, because do you know how many companies are in that ETF, uh, Marty? No, I don't at this time. No, okay. I don't. I mean, if, and we don't like ETFs uh, for investing or mutual funds and so forth, but if you're going to go that route, what you want to do is look at the ETF, what is in uh, what are the companies in that ETF? Jace? I was trying to have him to hold off on going to you, Marty, so I could pull it up, but I was able to get the, oh, good. the ETF pulled up. Oh, you got to pull it up. Good. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it looks like the top 10 holdings occupy about 66%. And, and this is one thing that I always look at with ETFs, where ExxonMobil is about 21% of oh, the wow. entire ETF. Now, I'm not saying Exxon's a bad company, yeah. but at 21%, I might just want to buy Exxon if I think Exxon's yeah. a good company. And Chevron's 6 yeah, so if you have Exxon, oh, you have then Exxon. you're going to really have a lot of Exxon. And then Chevron, 16%. So this is one thing that I just I, I don't like about ETFs. We, we always kind of tell people we'd rather build essentially our own personal ETF with companies than buy something because then we always tell people you're going to have a lot of overlap, especially if you own Exxon. Now you're buying essentially more Exxon. It's just something you've got to be cognizant of. And well, I like the energy know, space. But you know the reason it was started, it was because of the ESG. He, he yeah. started the company because ESG is, doesn't want to buy any of the fossil fuel ones, so it's set up to be more for oil companies mm -hmm. is the background. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I think it's ground, but I, I always tell people, be very careful what people are selling because they could yeah. be selling the anti-ESG movement as people were selling the ESG movement <laughs> to get people to buy their stuff, and the ESG funds charge exorbitant fees for doing nothing really in my opinion that's additional than a, a normal mutual fund so i i'd be very careful of just the movement and especially if exxon mobil's more than a fifth of the etf it's like well what are they really doing to justify a management fee if they're just 
gonna put you in basically chevron and exxon and, and marty i gotta ask you too i mean how much percentage wise does uh, exxon make up of your overall portfolio uh, not that much. Not that much, yeah. Because, no. I, I mean, I, I, I like, bought it a long time ago. Long time ago. See, and I like that direction you're going, so I'm kind of wondering why you want to muddy the waters by buying a an ETF with oil in it, including Exxon and probably other. And, and especially, too, I mean, the... Just to uh, bug the ESG. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the thing that I, I look at here is the expense ratio is 0.4%, which is pretty high for an ETF. Yeah. So I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I know what you're saying, trying to support it. I say support the anti-ESG movement by just buying the companies that, that you think are, are good investments yeah. that, that kind of stand for essentially what you believe in. And obviously you want the two to correlate. You don't want to just buy something that, that you believe in and it's a terrible investment. But, you know, the I think you can accomplish your mission without buying drill here, especially with a 0.4% fee to just buy Exxon and Chevron. And, and you know, I mean, I, I've been successful over the years by keeping things simple. Uh, we do run a concentrated portfolio with 15, <clears throat> about 15 companies into it. Once you start adding in ETS, well, now it's not 15 companies. Now, how many said, is in there? You said, Chase, how many companies? Uh, it doesn't give me the the, well, the total, but the top 10 holdings are 66%. Right. Well, now you've got more confusion coming in because now you got more companies than you maybe you want. Uh, too hard to kind of follow that. And then like, oh, well, that's on this one here. Oh, maybe I should do the same thing on consumer cyclicals or whatever it may be. It, it gets too confusing. The way I've been successful is by keeping our portfolio simple with about 15 companies in the portfolio that I can follow those companies very closely and know a lot about them as opposed to trying to have, you know, 30 or 50 different companies through ETS, everything else that you'll know very little about. So I would try to encourage you to maybe not go the ETF route and maybe kind of do more on the individual equity route. Yeah, if you like Exxon, I, I'd say hold Exxon. And yeah. You're good there. Don't don't necessarily go buy an ETF well, that's going to buy Exxon. Yeah, I've made a good profit on this, so I can get out if there's no big on it. I would just go curious whether to hold any longer. Yeah. Okay, All thanks, right. guys. Well, Marty, thanks Bye -bye. for calling. Bye-bye. All righty, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Zero nine seven three, and uh, two things I want to talk about uh, to help you out here. One is the workshop coming up uh, again. It's coming up uh, Thursday, November seventeenth at six p.m. in Scripps Ranch. Uh, and you, you got to think about this. It's a great place to learn about the fundamentals of investing and the strategies we use to find good value investments. If you're not sure what to invest into, we're gonna show you how to find good value investments, which kind of comes up on the show many times. Uh, how to invest during volatile markets. Gosh, we're definitely there now. And investing to build wealth and get to retirement. These are things we talk about the workshop. It is free. What you have to do, don't have to pay any money, but you've gotta to go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. <clears throat> That's smartinvesting2000.com to sign up for the workshop this Thursday, six o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Also wanna talk about the uh, newsletter, because this is one thing that's been very popular for people. Uh, we've been in this newsletter for, gosh, this way probably for a few years now, and people love it because it's very easy to read, uh, doesn't cost anything. Also, when you're at the, the, the website, you can sign up for it right there, the Smart Investing Newsletter. You'll get a lot of different topics we talk about uh, throughout the, uh, the, the, uh, the show here, and even more on top of that. Yeah, it's just something that kind of gives you something that's not the news that's uh, you know all gonna be negative as, as we kind of talked about. We try and talk about the positive, and we don't just talk about the positive to, to be blind to the negative, right. but we try and understand <clears throat> the negative through, I'd say, a more positive lens than what you get in the media. Yep, and, and the thing too that we, we talk about, we do see more positives than negatives. Now back in 2008, 
uh, I was negative Nelly. I mean, I was just like, oh, I can't find anything good because I can see things falling apart. They're not falling apart now. We've yeah. got some good things, which, uh, which again, I want to talk about that there's more evidence that commodity prices are coming down. The spot market for coil steel dropped 20% in the start of July through the end of September. And looking at that, uh, going back 12 months, prices are down 60% during that time frame. Uh, price declines in these major commodities should really help inflation next year. And, and this is one thing, too. Next week, we get the PPI. That's the producer price index. That has always been kind of, in my opinion, a good leading indicator of what is going to occur with CPI. Because I've uh, talked about this before, but if businesses are paying more money for the commodities, for transportation, well, they don't just eat the cost. They pass it on to the consumer. So if PPI can kind of turn itself around as well and start to decline, I think that'll be good news for CPI moving forward. So that could actually be a big report. And again, we're not market timers, not market traders, but it's something I'm keeping an eye on because it'll have an impact on the market next week for sure. <clears throat> and, and, you know, one thing that we uh, look at to a little bit differently, because when I see like rolled steel come down, what I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't that going to be better for car manufacturers? Mm -hmm. On top of what did car manufacturers have problems with over the last 12 months? Chips. Chips are starting to become more available. So I think over the next 12 months, your auto manufacturers may do very well because of lower prices on steel, available as chips. Because there was cars that they couldn't sell because they couldn't have the chips in them. Well, yeah. now that's going to be there. So you'll now start seeing, I think, car sales increase because people still want those cars. And again, the age of the average car is still pretty old. I want to say it's like 9.9 .9 years or something. Yeah, I, I thought it was around like 12 or something as yeah, well. So it's it still pretty pretty old in terms of uh, the age of the car. And, and, and that's kind of one thing as well. As people, <clears throat> when they invest, they wait for the car sales to turn around to look at buying the cars, companies. Yeah. yeah. And, but the problem is by that point, you know, like GM and Ford, for example, they're coming off those lows from a few, and, and by coming off the lows, they're up substantially from their lows uh, over the past few weeks here. But that's because things are starting to turn around. By the time they have turned around, they're mm -hmm. going to be far off those lows. Right. And it's the same concept with the recession. Oh, we're, we might have a recession next year. We don't believe the recession, if we have one, is going to be that bad. If we do have one, the stock market could actually rally through a recession because what would happen is the Fed would slow down. Yeah. Well, oh, now the Fed's not hiking rates anymore. So that, it's it's crazy <laughs> when you break down. And it's funny, I have people... Chase, you, you work in, you know, the financial markets and stuff. What do you think is going to happen in the stock market on Monday? I have no freaking idea what's going to happen on the stock market on Monday. There's no way to know. And uh, we do so much reading and, and understanding of what's going on, but there's no way to predict it. And we have this sheet that we go through um, when we do new client presentations where Warren Buffett's underperformed the stock market 50% of the time on a 12-month period. <clears throat> it, you just can't time it. If Buffett has been... I'm going to say the most successful investor of all time, and he can't time the stock market. What makes people think they can? Yeah, and 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 these are things that people don't realize, and they worry about the economy, they worry about this. You've got to look at the fundamentals of the economy and the business that you're buying. And I say the fundamentals of the economy, not just like oh, inflation's high, oh, the job's going to cr crash, and so forth. No, you've got to look at the the data that makes that up, which is what we do on the show, on the newsletter, on our posts. And that's what we actually, we manage about a half billion dollars and we do that because of the information that we get. So um, I did want to go, uh, uh, Joe and Ramona couldn't stay on the line, but he, he did want to find out more about uh, Goodyear Tire. And I want to go back to Goodyear Tire. Full disclosure here, we held Goodyear Tire a few years ago. We held it for a few years. Management was terrible at the time. They just kept 
promising and promising. And we eventually sold it. I believe we sold it for, for a loss, which I was disappointed with, but they just going to turn things around. So I'm excited to go back to Goodyear Tire to see if anything is different. And, and one thing I would recommend for Joe is if it's the same management it was from five years ago, I probably would not buy the company because you could be in the same thing we were in where they keep promising and they never delivered the goods is what and, happened. And it was a few years of, oh, well, next quarter, next yes, year. And exactly. It, it's like, okay, at a certain point, the numbers might look good, but it's just not worth it. Yeah. And I and I loved Goodyear Tire. I, I was great, I, 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 but I just, we couldn't make any money off it. So coming again is a Goodyear Tire and rubber. Their symbol is GT. Uh, they're in the auto parts industry. Uh, their float's about 6.8% on the short side. Institutional ownership, 81.5%. Great start here. PE ratio, 3.7 versus 21.7. Price to sales, 0.2 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 0.6 versus 1.4. And price to cash flow, 7.6 versus 11.8. So you've got great valuation ratios as a start here. And even the peg ratio, which is uh, the lower number, the better, 0.8 versus 10.1. So a screaming buy here saying like, wow, you're getting a great deal on this. Earnings per share over the last year are actually up 188%. Industry down 26%. Sales with Goodyear Tire climbed by 27.4. Industry up 2.9. The five-year estimated growth for Goodyear, uh, 9.1 versus 9.5. Gosh, these numbers are getting so exciting here. They used to pay a dividend. I say they do not pay a dividend now. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.3 versus 2.3. Unfortunately, debt to equity, very heavy, 1.9 versus 0.6. Net profit margin, 4.2 versus 3.1. And return to equity, 16.9 versus 7. Chase, what do you got going forward? Well, that debt's seems to have climbed over the years or the equity decline or, or something happened there, but I don't remember their debt to equity being that high. And, and this is probably, gosh, back in 2019, 2020, when we were part of this company or holding this company. So I'd, I, I'd want to understand if that debt's going up and if so, why? Uh, but current price here for Goodyear Tires, $11.58. 50-week high was $24.17 and a low $9.76. See year-to-date down about 45.7%. If I go forward, though, to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.03. That would give us a target sell price of $33.70. So, again, the, the four P is about 5.7. I mean, right. the, the valuation on it is, is, is phenomenal. But, you know, I, I would want to understand management. And are they still making those same old promises that things are going to turn around here Uh next year. <laughs> and, and I do see too that those uh, estimates from 90 days go down about 27%. So the estimates are coming down. I, I did look at the balance sheet here because I was curious uh, that the debt right now, the long-term debt is uh, $8.6 billion. Now just going back to, let's see, I'll go back to September, 2020. Uh, the debt was at that point in time, where'd it go? Uh, I just lost uh, the debt. Um, oh, there it is. Uh, 6.3 billion. So they've increased their debt by over $2 billion. That's a big increase. That's, That's a about, huge increase. Yeah. And and here again, I, I want to buy this company. Everything looked good on the numbers, but I think there's cracks behind it. And I think the big factor for me, if I were going to buy this company again, is this new management or is it the old management from three, four years ago? Yeah. Because they, they, they just keep promising and perhaps these numbers stay low. And that's what happened. I mean, that the fundamentals stayed strong as far as the valuation ratio stayed low but they never delivered the goods come the quarter. And then the stock would drop down, you know, 10% or so, come back up 10%. And we just for, and I think we held it for two or three years and finally realized like management doesn't have their act together. 
and we got rid of the company because of bad management. So yeah. that's that's where we stand on Goodyear. All right, uh, phone number is here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Poway and speak with Tony. Tony, in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase, how can we help you? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, <clears throat> I hold uh, some Marathon oil, and I was I was lucky enough to buy it at a low price, and then I sold half of it uh, at 24, and it keeps going up. But when it goes up really fast like that, it makes me nervous that that maybe there's a sell point. Uh, and, and when you said you were lucky enough to buy it and then you sold it, I mean, what what did you base the buy on when you sold some of it? Uh, was it an emotional sell there? I mean, what's what's caused you to make your buy and sell decisions here, Tony? When I did the research on it, I saw that it, it was at a very awkward low. And mm -hmm. so I took a chance and bought a couple thousand shares when it was at about seven um, oh. with the idea that I was going to get out of it really fast mm -hmm. if, it, if it tanked. And then it just it just kept appreciating, um, but I, I never trust the gas stocks that much. Well, and, and again, I wouldn't, and that's a, a bad statement to make not to trust the gas stocks. If you look at their fundamentals, I mean, you should look at the fundamentals and not you know make a blanket statement saying I don't trust the gas stocks because uh, maybe because you're afraid of the commodity going up and down. But right now there is a shortage of oil and gas, uh, so that's when you should kind of trust them because supply demand. That's what what you kind of want. Yeah, I was going to say, too, Tony, I, I can understand, I guess, your fears, and we'll go through the numbers here, just because it, it is, uh, I, I think not trusting is a bad bad choice of words, right. essentially, but <laughs> it, it, it's, I guess, kind of skeptical of, of the cyclicality, because it, it's yes. a very cyclical commodity, very cyclical industry, so I, I can kind of see your concern there, but, uh, you know, I'm curious to take a look at the numbers, because I know there's Marathon Oil and Marathon Petroleum, I think Marathon Petroleum does the gas refining and marathon oil does the exploration for oil yep and, and that's what they are then oil and gas enp uh, only four percent float uh, on the short side 79 percent institutional owned uh, nice pe ratio 6.3 below the industry at 7.4 price of sales for marathon oil uh, is 3.1 above the industry at two Price of tangible book value, 1.9, half the industry at 5.3, and price of cash flow, 4.4 versus 5.1. And the peg ratio, very good, of 0.4 versus 0.8, shows you that they still think there's a lot of growth left in this company. Now, I don't see any earnings per share growth over the past year, probably because over the previous 12 months, they probably had losses, so therefore you can't show that number there. We do see sales were up 63.5%, uh, not quite as good as the industry growth of 99% uh, on the one-year time frame. Uh, the dividend side, you get uh, a, only 1.1% yield here, but they're only using 5.6% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, if you remember, uh, that's the same as v NVIDIA is paying that 0.1%. So <laughs> maybe it is a deal at 1.1%. Uh, we do see, uh, let's see, the balance sheet current ratio 1.1 versus 1.6. That's okay, uh, especially with debt to equity of 0.4 versus 0.7. So they don't have a lot of debt, which is positive. The profit margin 48.7 versus 27.4. Return on equity 33.4 versus 32.5. And even return on capital is good. It's 26.3. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Marathon Oil is $32.88. The 52-week high here, $33.42. And the low, that's $14.29. I see year-to-date 
up 102.2%. So it's done very, very well, especially I think you said you bought around seven there. So congratulations on that, Tony. Uh, market cap, though, $20.8 billion. So it is a good size oil company. Now I go out to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.27. Does give us a target sell price of $70.88. Now, one thing I will say is kind of speaking about the cyclicality of the, the industry is this year they're estimated to make $4.59. And I think a lot of that could be Number one, they do have high profits right now. Number two, it could be kind of adjustments to their balance sheet because they had to take write-offs before when oil collapsed. Now they might be writing it back up to the better the cost or market, so they might be taking it from the market cost and putting it back to the cost they bought mm-hmm. it at, which could be benefit to their, their earnings. So I, I, I think they could be having what I'll call peak earnings in 2022, but I, I don't think you're going to have anything like, uh, gosh, what was that, 2015 when oil just fell off a cliff in 2020, obviously, with COVID. I don't think we're going to have anything like that. And I, I think energy, having a good energy company, it still makes sense. You don't want to be over-concentrated in energy with that, but I think having a good energy company in the portfolio still does make sense at this time. And, and Tony, how much percentage-wise does it make up in your portfolio? Oh, uh, very little, maybe 2%. Okay. Yeah, I kind of feel bad you sold it before because I was going to say, if you've got 4 or 6% of energy in your portfolio with Marathon, I'd say you know, stay with it because I don't see oil dropping dramatically from where we're at. Um, I don't see demand falling off dramatic from where we're at. And I think it's a good business. Um, it, it's worth holding. So I, I would not be selling this and, and you're going to see good things and bad things come out. But even if from now, uh, a year from now, if you're up, you know, we'll say 15%, that's a pretty good return. So don't expect to get it maybe another 100% return year to date. But if you get 15% return on the next year, that's pretty positive there. Yeah, so. and I, I will say it's all relative. The 10-year return for this company is a 28% gain. Yeah. So, I mean, it's done well over last year, but you look over the last 10 years, but the way the oil industry happened, it's done okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is a closing bell. Thanks for calling there, Tony. Appreciate that. But uh, thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss some more detail, your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Remembering to set up for the workshop there. Again, smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing Brent and Chase Wilson. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great day. We'll talk with you soon. To think that I did all that And may I say